Hello, everybody. Everybody is here. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. And let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our opportunity once again to hear his word. Let's let everything that may be distracting or disturbing in our minds aside so that we may uh, concentrate on his word and see the solutions to things and also continue to learn about this wonderful opportunity that we have in our prayer lives with God. So with that, let's bow heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this privilege that we have of being able to come before you and speak to you, to thank you, to praise you, to ask you for ourselves and for others. Um, From what we are to what you are, Father, your infinite, almighty, and our, our position as lowly, so low, but yet you have bridged that gap and brought us together to you, having made peace between us and you through the cross of Christ. We uh, are on a season in which we celebrate his birth. Uh, It's a special time of year, and we are grateful for him, for his birth, his death, his resurrection, ascension, and session. We look for his return in our future and eternity with you. We Before that time, Father, we hopefully patiently wait, though we have to wait. We ask you for patience as we um, pursue the life that you have so blessed us with. We ask, Father, that your spirit enlighten each of us, and we ask in Christ's name, amen. So as we've been noting with prayer, and we'll continue here with the Lord's Prayer, that prayer is a lifelong communication with God the Father, uh, and that is why it's a day-in, day-out thing. If there's something that you uh, did not pray for today or that you neglected prayer today, it doesn't mean that the conversation stops. The conversation continues. And as we uh, learn to uh, take advantage of prayer because we learn to enjoy it, and the, the only way we're going to learn to enjoy it is if it becomes more than just running through a list of names or running through a list of things or it becomes more than a procedure, uh, like something I ought to do or should do. It must become more than that because prayer, especially initially as we've seen and saw yesterday, is uh, at first and foremost an opportunity to praise God for who he is. And uh, that is a lifelong pursuit. Uh, the, the majesty of God, who he is to you, and, and that, you know, who he is and what we see of him should change us, and it does, uh, and, uh, and, and our uh, ability to see the majesty of the divine is a true gift. Uh, the, the purpose of every life is to glorify God, every human life. We're made in his image for that very purpose. And uh, anything else uh, is, you know, I guess we could call it extra, but the main purpose of our lives is to glorify, to praise, to honor, to worship, and glorify. Those are all really similar terms. Uh, the God of the universe, our creator. And so again, prayer is a lifelong communication with God the Father. Uh, as we see today, and now the emphasis today will be uh, on, the, the emphasis yesterday was on our approach um, to make sure that before we get to even, uh, I, I personally, I would say confession of sin. I know some people have a problem with that. But it is at least at some place in the beginning of your prayer, at the start of it, that you praise God for who he is. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And, and if we don't do that, and prayer then just becomes about us. And that's not the point of life itself. Life itself is not about us. It's not about the ease of our circumstances. It's not about our circumstances at all. Because if we look at the people in the Bible uh, and what they have gone through, all of them are from different walks of life, from different backgrounds, from different positions, and their experiences are different. Even the prophets of Israel, uh, none of them had the same experiences. Uh, And same with the apostles, same with uh, all in the Scripture. Uh, 
circumstances are not what matters. It's our relationship with God and our walk with God. That's what matters. And so if in our prayer lives we're not emphasizing that, we're missing, then prayer is disconnected from the whole purpose of life. And there, then what do you have? You have, you know, I don't know. It's, it's not good enough. All right? uh, so what I would say is if, as we, if you have a hard time doing that, then keep praying, but keep trying to do that, because prayer is uh, just like any conversation. Like you have to do it. If you don't do it, if you don't talk to the person that you love, then you don't have a relationship. And it's something that has to be done. And and uh, and as we do so, uh, even if it's just baby steps at first, if it's a few minutes in prayer daily, but make sure it's daily. Uh, and I would say first thing in the morning before you talk to anybody. Uh, and and even if it's a few minutes, it, I guarantee you, is if you keep in mind the instructions of our Lord and the principles and the prayer that he gives us, that you will start to experience prayer in a way that you uh, will thrill you. Now, <clears throat> so the, that's how the approach of prayer is praise God first and thank God first. Uh, and now we want to look at uh, the fact that God is our Father. Uh, and in a very real sense, uh, that he is our Father. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's, sometimes we use the word Father, like, I don't know, George Washington's the Father of our nation or whatever. Uh, in, in that's, you know, what we're talking about is Father exactly what is meant by that word that is near and dear to all of us, as in our earthly fathers all sired us, not to make it sound like a like you're a horse, <laughs> uh, you know, they, uh, he, he provided uh, the, the chromosomes to make you alive, to make you a person. So uh, the, our earthly fathers sired us, and after that, whether they raise us or they leave us, whether they're kind to us and good to us or they abuse us, whether they you know, don't care about us, uh, that's up to them. You know, there's a lot of bad fathers in the world, there's especially at, uh, as we see in, the, in low-income communities, especially it's a terrible, terrible problem that fathers just basically abandon their children. Uh, <coughs> And, you know, there's a lot we could do. Uh, I've done some research into that in the past, how, uh, you know, statistics show that children, especially young boys, if their fathers are not in the picture of their lives, then their criminality is greatly increased. Their uh, lack of education is greatly increased and so on. As statistics bear that out very clearly. So uh, that would show us that having a father is of extreme importance. Uh, and, however, there's not one, even the greatest of fathers, and you're very blessed if you've had a good one, uh, it, n- none of them live up to the title. In reality, none of them do. Uh, just like it was never found in Israel, a king who, would, who actually could rule. Like, not even David, uh, because David, the greatest of the kings of Israel, still fell terribly, uh, and so there has not been found a father who is truly worthy of the title. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that none of them are as perfect and sound as our father who is in heaven. And you know, no one could live up to that. We're not asking any man to live up to that. But it, sh- it shows us something. that there's, there's no person in the world that's qualified even Adam, the, the, our original, is, he's the father of the human race. Uh, and what did he do? He fell. Uh, and and it, throughout history, there has not been anyone who has lived up to the task. And that's why Jesus Christ had to come in the form of a man. If Christ doesn't come in the form of a man, the Son of God, then there's no king, there's no father, there's no brother, there's no family, there's no anything that any of us truly long for. And so that's why he's called the last Adam. That's one of his titles. Uh, he is. 
the image of the invisible God. And so, and Jesus illustrates this. Even if we had very good fathers, and we're blessed by them if we have them, none of them could be all that a father should be. And look at Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And these are all present participles. No, wait, they're, uh, they're commands, aren't they? Yeah, they're imperatives. Uh, present tense meaning keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. And that's the persistence of our prayer life. And then he says in verse 9, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And so right here, Christ is, it clearly makes the point that even amongst the very good fathers who will provide what their children ask, they're still evil. It's because we're fallen. Uh, no father can do it perfectly. Uh, no father could, a human father, could possibly have the brain power to know to do the right thing at the right time all the time. Uh, to, you know, a, a perfect leader is one who knows exactly what to do, the right thing to do at the right time in the right way all the time. And none of us can do that. We come up really short. So God has made it so that no man, no person should lack in perfection, everything that his heart aches for. And we do mean in perfection, completely, utterly fulfilled, and perfectly so. And this is through the incredible sacrifice of his son. You know, as, I, as I'm working on a passage in Revelation 19, which is our, our marriage supper to the Lamb, uh, we're all dressed in white, in Beautiful, perfect white linen, as it's stated, which are the righteous acts of the saints. We're all dressed in white. And Jesus is in a robe. He's not dressed like us. He's the only one. The groom is not dressed like the bride. He's wearing a robe that's dipped in blood. And, and that, <clears throat> what that depicts is uh, that he is, uh, through his sacrifice, has provided that righteousness to each of us. None of us can be a bride without him and his sacrifice. And so God has made it so through the incredible sacrifice of his son that no one should lack in perfection everything his heart aches for. We are provided a perfect king, a perfect kingdom, a father, a brother, a spirit, uh, meaning the Holy Spirit being our guide and instructor and mentor, uh, a family, a lover, and a friend. And on and on the list would go. Like adding to that list would be uh, would be uh, incredibly. Uh, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to do. I <laughs> like where is it? Uh, right. I use animation today. I'm like, you know what? Why not throw in some animation? And I knew it. I knew I'd mess that up. So anyway, there it is. Uh, King. Kingdom, Father, Brother, Spirit, Family, Lover, Friend. It's all in the Trinity. On top of that are the blessings to us of righteousness, holiness, wisdom. Uh, and on and on it goes. Courage, patience, comfort, forgiveness. And on and on. So when we look at our Lord's teaching on prayer, the principles that he gave us, we realize that they're based on our desires because their requests and they're, they're very uh, firm requests because they're all in the form of commandments. And so we request, hallowed be your name. You know? And, and it's, it's forceful. And if it's not forceful in us, then we have to deal with that. Again, it's another uh, part of this study that we're going to do. Uh, maybe it'll be a class or a half a class. I don't know. But uh, it will be on that you can't lie to God. And you know it's it's a simple thing to teach, but it's something that we can easily overlook because when you're in you're in a room with God, if you're gonna if you're truly these words say holy be your name, do you really want that? Do you want His name? Name means person with God. 
in all aspects and attributes of Him, do you really want His name, Him to be set apart unto you, holy unto you? Do you want that? Uh, do you want that true of others? Because it's our Father, holy be your name. Do you want to project that holiness to others and be a witness of Him and to actually change lives as a witness as, as in service and in, in shining forth the light of Christ through you? Do you actually want to reveal to others? Is it a top priority? Or is it way down, is it a much lower priority? Is it, is it more like, you know, yeah, you know, I, I, I appreciate the holiness of God when it's convenient. But mostly I'm absorbed with myself and my own things. So, and, and if you, when we pray this, we're faced with it. We're faced with our desires in every area of life because this prayer covers every area of life. But here's the thing. As we seek this, so when we say, holy be your name, and we come up short, and all of us would have to admit that we do, that we're asking our Father, not just anybody. We're not just asking, you know, the big guy upstairs or, or whatever people call him, you know. It, it's, this is your Father, the one who is, call him the, the grand replacement of your earthly father. Your true father is the one that you're requesting, seeking for a heart that properly seeks to glorify God, a heart that magnifies and loves his, loves, loves his way and his will and his laws. Your kingdom come, your will be done, include his laws. You can't have a kingdom without laws. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And his will is his way. His way, his laws, his will. Do we really seek that? And all of us would come up short there because is it always our top priority? Maybe some days it is, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Uh, <clears throat> but as we seek them, we're seeking them from our Father. And then moving on, so we have in Matthew, go to Matthew 6, 9 to our Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and so, do we seek these things? Are they truly our desire? And all of, you know, none of us seek them and desire them 100% of the time, uh, some of us more than others. But again, that's between you and God. It's you and Him alone in the inner room, and you're asking your Father, your one true Father. Do you really desire this? And it becomes very uh, a revelation of self. Now, the next part, which again is give us today our daily bread, that is about contentment. We've talked about that. That'll be another class where we'll just emphasize that, that you're asking your Father for your needs, but only your needs. And that you're not complaining that you should have more or that you want more or, or less. A few people want less, but some people have a lot of things in their plate and they wish they had less. But whatever you've got in terms of material things and things to do, <clears throat> you know, are you content with that? And then there's our graciousness, our discernment, and our courage. Forgive us our debts. Right? Forgive us our debts is is the is allowing the grace of God to forgive us and not carry around burdens of guilt. This is the removal of our shame that we have because of our sin. And when we forgive others, we are, he says, and also, as also we forgive our, our debtors, we're being gracious to others. And are we gracious to others? Do we seek to be gracious to others? Um, and so, and when you're seeking for that. And then finally, the last part, which is don't lead us into temptation, is a, an asking God to lead you in the proper way, which is the narrow road that leads to life, and to not be distracted by the attacks uh, of the of the kingdom of darkness or the flesh, the temptations, which are all vying for your affections, and some of them are very strong. And we want to do we really want to navigate that narrow road? And so we're faced with these desires, these desires. And the, what's wonderful here 
is that we're seeking them from our Father, not from anyone else. Your Father loves you. You're no longer a stranger, a vagabond on earth. You're no longer lost. You're found. You're no longer alone. You have a father and a family and a brother for all eternity. Uh, you have guidelines. You have a way. There's a, to God's family, there is a law and a way. There's a nobility. Uh, there's a grand way, which is what Christ is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. All of that has been given to me. I've been given the greatest instructor in the world, the Holy Spirit. I've been given a father and a brother and a family. And <clears throat> they're all the things that every heart aches for. And God has given them to us perfectly. <clears throat> so as we seek in our Father, our Father, we're seeking to give us a heart that honors His name, that honors His person as holy, that desires His kingdom above all other kingdoms. Our Father is to grant us the advantage of seeing our earthly lives already in union with heaven, that we walk in a manner worthy because this earth is not our home and we know it. We walk in a heavenly fashion. We think in a heavenly way. His thoughts are our thoughts. That's what it's meant to be. And as Jesus prayed in John 17, he told us that eternal life is knowing the Father. So our Father is to give us contented hearts that don't seek for more than He's graciously given. Our Father must remove the shame of our sin and pour His love into us so that we're gracious to others who sin against us. Our Father must guide us to remain on the narrow road, the new and living way, that we will experience spiritual victory and not be, as Peter wrote, devoured by the devil. It is not just anyone that we seek these things from. It is our Father. We seek them for us, and this will be another lesson, we seek them for others. <clears throat> so, who is my true Father? He is in heaven and holy. He is in heaven. This acknowledgement means that he's sanctified. And this will be another lesson. This might be a couple lessons. What is heaven? And believe me, I, I can't get into, you know, uh, it won't be like uh, some have written some very popular books about they died and went to heaven and they saw the whole thing and then they came back and they wrote a book. How great, you know, you made millions off of your book uh, and you didn't go to heaven. Sorry, I just, I, I, I refuse to believe that. But, uh, you know, it's not that. Uh, what does the scripture reveal about heaven and earth? There's a lot. And it's not so much about, you know, what is heaven like? How does it smell? <laughs> you know, like, what do you see there? Uh, you know, so anything like that. It, it is about the, the perfect abode of God that was at one time united with earth. Yeah? So in the Garden of Eden... God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So in the evening time, Christ or God, the, the Son of God, manifested, uh, would come to the garden and speak with Adam and Eve. And so there was no disconnect. And then there was the fall and the earth got cursed. And then there was a great disconnect. And so heaven up there, earth down here, and there's, there's uh, conflict. And so, uh, why does, as we see here, have, uh, you know, uh, in, the, in his prayer, uh, getting to it, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So much of this phraseology of heaven and earth, heaven and earth, in, especially in link to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the bread from heaven that came to earth. Uh, in the, the poem about him in Colossians 1, that he is the image of the invisible God and that he is the creator of all things, heaven and earth. And here in this prayer and in many places where heaven and earth are put together and that the Son, who becomes our king and gives us his Father, is the one who reunites heaven and earth for all of eternity. And, uh, and it would seem to state, and I think very clearly, 
that uh, this earth has already been so stained and tainted with sin and evil that it has to be destroyed and made brand new. <clears throat> so therein lies uh, the, the true principle that here on earth, while I live on earth in a sinful body or a body that wants to sin and uh, in the midst of a world that is evil and depraved and sinful, that I've got to find harmony in my own soul if I'm going to have peace. And, and therefore, I've got to live heavenly, though I'm not there. Uh, if I live earthly, there will be no peace within me. And we'll see that as well. Uh, so, how could such a one be my father? Well, he's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, and I'm not. So, how in the world could he be my father and I be his son? or his daughter, and therefore he has to remove sin from our lives. It has to be removed. The Holy Father can not have sinners as sons and daughters. It's just, it's not, it can't happen. We can't be in, have eternal life. We cannot be united with him. We can't call him Father if our sins are not completely taken away. And they are. Through the cross of Christ, he made peace with us. He reconciled us propitiated the justice of God, sanctified us, and so justified us. This is all clear in the New Testament. The cost to him to accomplish this was extremely high. It's the highest cost that there was. His death on a cross, his separation from God, and being judged for the sins of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, therefore our husband, our brother, but now sits at the right hand of God. He's been exalted to the right hand of God, waiting for the proper time, when he will literally make heaven and earth one. And that's when he returns. But note well, he marries us in heaven before he returns. He solidifies this relationship with us. In other words, he's more concerned. First order of business is to marry us. And, and that happens in Revelation 19. And then he returns. Uh, it is a higher priority to him to solidify his marriage with us than it is to return to earth and judge the sinful here and the evil. So, um, these uh, pivotal truths will not escape our direct concentration as we use this framework that is the Lord's Prayer. For instance, we cannot call God Father if our sins are not completely forgiven. This is impossible. So, uh, go to John 8. John 8. We are to go through life walking and talking with our Father and to know Him as such. This is as a son, as a daughter. Is there a barrier between me and Him? Not anymore, because Christ took it away. John 8.34 Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Well, there you go. That's every one of us. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. Well, that means we're out. Any of us who have committed a sin, we're slaves to sin. We cannot remain in the house because we're slaves. But then he says, So, if the son makes you free, and this, this would be well known in the ancient world in the first century. There's a lot of slavery in Rome. And, and that is that a slave could be freed by his master. And, especially in Israel, he could be adopted as a son. And that's right. There's a, there was a rule in the law that you could put his ear against the doorpost and, and you puncture it with an awl. You, you, you pierce his ear. And that would, that would mean that willfully... He chose to remain with this household, even after he was set free. So he says, if the Son sets you free, then you're free indeed. Then you're truly free. And, and this is, you know, Christ here is using uh, first century, even before that, but first century slavery rules to depict what he's actually going to do. I mean, he's going to free us. But the cost to him is going to be immense to free us. The cost of us, of these slaves, is monumental. But he's going to do it. And 
the, the, the great blessing to us is that the cross has happened. He is resurrected. He is ascended and seated at the right hand of God. It's, it's already done. When you go back in the Old Testament and you read of their longing for this, God's promises about it, which seemed, I would imagine to them, just seemed miles away. I was reading today Psalm 89, which talks about how he's going to install his king. When? And at the end of the psalm, it's, he says, how long, O Lord? When? It's like they, they so long for it, and we don't have to long for it. It is truly ours. So, Christ sets us free. What does freedom mean? Well, for us it means we're free to live in a world that is not heaven, to live heavenly lives. And we see this in the Scripture. That the Son is supposed to imitate the Father. It's stated all the time in reference to Father-Son relationship. Uh, We are free to live a heavenly life. And again, not being asked to be perfectly sinless, but to seek that life, which is the most rewarding of lives. We are free to seek the Father's glory in ourselves. That is the most wonderful thing to see. The human race, we resist it. Even Christians resist it because they're deceived into thinking that it's not all that fun. It's not fun to glorify God. But you actually find out that it is the most rewarding, fulfilling thing that there is. You know, you're glorifying the only one who deserves it. You're glorifying the only one who is truly beautiful. And as you do so, you're discovering more and more how beautiful he really is. So we're free to seek the Father's glory in ourselves and to show that if we, if we seek his glory in ourselves, that glory will shine forth to others and then we'll see the fact that we actually influence other people. God designs people to be in your life to be influenced by the light that is shining through you and you will see that influence. And uh, there's nothing more rewarding than that. To portray the life of the Father, the life of heaven, in a contented way, right? Give us today our daily bread. I'm content. I walk this narrow road. I'm forgiven. Thank God, because sometimes I stray off the road. And I have a wonderful relationship with my God, which fills me with joy. And that shines forth. But, you know, it's obvious that a believer who just lives worldly and just blends in with the background of the world shines nothing. And that's why this prayer, well, the Bible Bible study reminds us of it all the time. But this prayer on a daily basis reminds us of this principle. Do I shine forth the glory of God? Now, so if his will is to be done in my life, petition number three, it cannot be irrespective of my condition, obviously. If sin rules my life, then I cannot desire his will, or I do not desire his will. And that's something that I deal with with God. You know? And forgive us our sins is speaking of just our general sinfulness or all of our sins. And uh, you know, are, are those more important to me than his will? Then you're confronted with that. I am a sinner, and so something has to be done about my sin, and it has been taken away. Go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 12. If my father is holy, and he is, and I'm his son or daughter, then I have to be holy. And so God, through Christ, has made us holy. But when this is stated, uh, somewhere around, it, it doesn't take, you don't have to read too much farther, either ahead or prior, to wherever a writer in the, in the New Testament especially speaks of the fact that we're forgiven of all of our sin, is that the, the result of that is to be that we desire not to have sin rule our lives. And so Colossians 1.12 the Father, 
I think it's like halfway through verse 12. The Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance of the saints of light. So here is our Father who has qualified us. Qualified means here that through the cross of Christ we have been made qualified to do what? To share in, in the inheritance. Now, to share an inheritance, you have to be a son. So to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, that would be in Christ or in his life, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness, old kingdom, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, new kingdom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And, and right before this, Paul prays, starting in verse 9, you see that Paul is praying, and in verse 10 he states, uh, along with this monumental truth that we've been transferred to, the, transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, rescued from the domain of darkness and forgiven of all of our sins, that Paul would pray that we would, in verse 10, please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. So you see, the son now has a father. The daughter now has a father, a true father. And the son and the daughter are in the house. We're not the slaves anymore that get kicked out. We live there. And in that house, there's a code. There's a nobility. There's a royalty by which we live. We're called to it. Now, if our sins were not forgiven, we can't be sons in the house because God is righteous. But now that they are, and now that we are members of the kingdom of His beloved Son, we are required by our Father. And so, you know, when we think of Father, and, and at times we want to think of, you know, you know, cuddling with Him or something, which is fine. <laughs> and, and, and actually just, you know, being comforted by Him and loved by Him, all of that, absolutely wonderful, perfect. But also, what is and I think it's neglected, it's certainly in modern Christianity way too much, is the fear of Him. The absolute respect that He deserves. The, the fear of Him that I will not break this code. Now, am I going to break it? Yeah, I know I am. But it is my determination not to. That is the fear of the Lord. I'm not going to break His law. I'm not going to break His code. I have been given a gift that you know it's greater than any jackpot lottery any that anyone could ever imagine and i'm i've been uh, placed in a family in a kingdom that is constructed of righteousness and if i'm like yeah it doesn't matter if i live righteous or not then you don't you you lack the fear of the Lord, and so both. And certainly, you know, in the ancient world, a father uh, demanded respect more more so than it is in our modern world. But you know, that was a part of the culture. In most cultures, fathers were, uh, you know, and uh, uh, fathers were respected out of. You know, that's the way society was, and in our day and age, it's been especially now because men are. Uh, uh, de-elevated or de-esca, whatever the word is, <laughs> that men are put down more than ever. Uh, and, and that's an attack by the kingdom of darkness to ruin the masculinity of fatherhood. And he's done very well at it, unfortunately. So, the part of being in this, having our father as a true father is to actually please him and bear fruit in the work that He desires me to do. Call it chores. Your Father, in your house now, the eternal kingdom, where your house is, has given you chores to do. And if I say, eh, doesn't matter. But the simplest parable that the Lord ever taught was, a vineyard owner asked his two sons to go work in the vineyard. One went, one didn't. Who did the will of his father? That was it. But the, the, the first son said, I'm not going to do it, and then thought better of it and went. The second son, I think I got him in the right order. The second son said, I will do it, and lied, and didn't go. Didn't work. And he said, who did the will of his father? Uh, so, 
in the first part of our prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, we focus on the Father and the Son and not ourselves. All right? We can get to ourselves eventually. We need not question our loyalty or our determination. All we need to know is do we actually desire what these words mean? And in private, we can be very open and honest with our Father. Don't lie to Him. And we can answer that question. Do I desire, truly desire, more than anything, that you are holy in my life? And that I reveal that to others. Do I desire your will, your kingdom? But it's absolutely true that none of us will desire it enough in this life. But it must be desired. Just because none of us are going to reach sinless perfection doesn't mean that we shouldn't shoot for it. All of us need more faith. All of us need faith more often. All of us need more diligence. And so when we petition God for His name to be holy, we can join our Father in discovering the reasons why at times we actually don't want to. So, when we say our Father, which every prayer should start with, we can mean it as our Lord meant it, because that's how He prayed. And uh, that's probably one of the things that tipped off the disciples to ask Him how to pray, is that He didn't say Adonai, which is at that time, nobody said Jehovah or Yavah. Uh, because they they honored the name of God so much that they wouldn't even pronounce it. But here we have Jesus saying, our Father, or His Father, you pray Father, and um, no Jew ever had done that. And so by that we know that these words are new. Right? Father. No Jew ever called God His Father. Not like this. Very There's a few places, there's actually one place in the Old Testament where we have uh, the word father used for an individual, which is David, but that psalm is prophetic about the Messiah. And so it's actually really used for Jesus Christ. And Christ fulfills it. In Psalm 89, he fulfills it and calls God his father. That's Psalm 89.26. So for us, Romans 8.15 says, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He is our Father. <clears throat> Prophetically, let me get through these. There we go. And I said to you, Jeremiah 3.19, and I said, you shall call me my Father and not turn away from following me. Do you see how they're connected? If I'm your father, you're not going to turn away from following me. It's required. And so being a son or a daughter in the house has with it the accountability of what a son and daughter should be. So the son came to earth calling God his father. He placed us in union with himself. He entered us into his kingdom, as we just read in Colossians 1. He went to heaven to prepare a place for us and told us to be sure to call God Father just as He did, to pray as He did. Father and Son or Father and Daughter also enforces upon our hearts an indissoluble bond. He's your Father forever. He cannot be, it can't be undone. There is a recognition, a distinct and necessary recognition of the Son of God in His work. When we call God Father, we have to recall that it is the work of the Son of God that made Him so. And through Him we aspire to an intimacy with the Creator just as He had. And it's far more than any mere creature can have with God. Right? We're created in His image. And being our Creator, He is now something much more than, well, the Sovereign One, which He is. Uh, he is to us our Father. In the reality of having God as our Father, we have over and above the assurance that our connection with Him is one of love and lasting relationship, and we shall not be suffered to go adrift. We shall not ever be forsaken, but shall be brought up into His likeness, which He promises, and shall live with Him for all of eternity. And that, the ground on which this relationship is established, 
is the dignity of the Son of God who became our brother, who thought us valuable enough to lay down his life on our behalf. Hence, the prayer, our prayer, always begins with our Father. And what that means every time we utter it. And we must know him. We must know the Father. Uh, <clears throat> as we noted prior in John 16:15, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. In that passage, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to reveal me. And when the Holy Spirit reveals me, you're going to see the Father. He said in John 14 to Philip, if you've seen the if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <clears throat> Go to First Peter chapter one. Now, one of the things we want to we've already talked about it a bit, but we want to make sure that we um, don't any any of us entertain the thought that as we may have manipulated our earthly fathers, this father is. Uh, unmanipulatable. Is that a word? Put a few hyphens in that, if you will. <clears throat> I, I, you know, you could throw on. I remember when I was younger, I could kind of manipulate my dad. I knew I, you could, you knew what kind of the right mood that you could maybe throw on the waterworks and kind of get something or do the do the infamous. Uh, dad, could you? Ah, uh, never mind. And then he'd say, "What?" And then I'd be like, "Ah." Never mind, you wouldn't do it anyway. It's perfect. Dependent on his next word, whether you had him or you didn't. And uh, <laughs> I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many times in the past I've done this, where I've kind of cried on God and been like, well, you won't do it. I know you won't do it. Like that kind of nonsense. Is he manipulatable? No, he is not. Uh, can we get him to feel sorry for us? Uh, uh-uh. Nope. He knows all things. He knows if you're, if you're trying to fool him. I mean, this, what's beautiful about this, ter- this phrase that Jesus uses is that it's an inner room, close the door, it's you and him alone. There's nobody there to manipulate. So, notice 1 Peter 1.16 you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, Peter is quoting Deuteronomy. This is, a, this is in the law. You shall be holy, God says, for I am holy. And then Peter continues, And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. <clears throat> uh, can I manipulate him? No. The Father impartially judges according to each man's work. So why the reference to gold and silver? How do people on earth try to manipulate one another? I mean, it's, it's the most popular way. Bribery in some form. But, you know, I, I'll give to you if you give to me. It's this back and forth. And, and Peter is just kind of taking all of that earthly nonsense of how we get what we want. Take, throw out gold and silver and say complaining or nagging. Uh, pouting, self-pity, whatever we're using as collateral to get people to do what we want them to. Peter is saying here, you can't do that to God. He judges impartially, and you were redeemed with the blood of the Lamb, not with gold and silver. So, if you want good things from your Father, then conduct yourself in fear, verse 17, during the time of your stay upon the earth. You want blessing from Him? You want relationship? This not works. It just it gives you the ability to love what He loves. If God is going to bless you with things that He is, which is the only things He can really bless you with, then you must love those things. Um, 
And so, again, God impartially judges according to each man's work. So it's not on account of what we receive from God that makes him our father. It's because he is our true father. By birth, by new birth, we're born again. The relationship is to be first in our minds. That's why Jesus opens the prayer with it. Our Father. It is to be deeper also in our affections. And being so, uh, hope that God, you know, is God going to do for me? He's your Father. Of course He is. Is He going to come through for me? Is He going to deliver me? Is everything going to work out all right? He's your Father. Of course it is. It may not work out the way that you think it will, but... All things work together for good to those who love God. So hope will be easy. When God is your Father, humility is natural. It's genuine. There's a relationship of love here from father to child. No matter what comes of our performance, our thinking, our relationship with Him as Father will never change. We are his sons and daughters forever. He is our father forever. The father doesn't change. And that should satisfy us. The father is patient. And that should comfort us. Our very natures are bound to God through the person of Christ. No other relationship in life is like it. Our relationships can help us understand it. You know, our relationship with others, they do help us understand our relationship with God. But there's no human relationship that is like our relationship with God. So we must not forget what this sonship, daughtership means to us. And we must explore it because we certainly don't know enough about it. We must explore the reality of having the Creator, the Almighty, the Infinite One, the Eternal One as our Father, as our true Father, uh, and as Christ as our true Brother. And to not, uh, you know, hope in other human beings to fulfill what these important things are. You know, every petition in the Lord's Prayer refers to something that is of utmost importance to us. Our worship of God, our love of His kingdom, our love of His will, our contentment with what things we have, the release of our shame from our sin, our graciousness to others, and our ability to wisely and powerfully navigate life in a righteous way. All of those things are in the Lord's Prayer. If I'm alone, and I feel alone, then there is and will be no desire to do it. Um, you know, some people think they can. Some people are loners. That we're not made for that. I don't understand the loners. I've always been a social being, but um, you know, if if God is not in, close with me and intimate with me and desires my good. If you know the one who made this all possible is the Son of God, if He's not my husband and my brother and loves me, then what's going to motivate me if I feel like I'm in this on my own? You know, and and we have the royal family of God. You know, we have the church, but there's no human being that's going to fulfill this in you. This desire for fulfillment. In other words, family fulfillment, father fulfillment, brother, family, friend. Nobody can do that. They help. They help us, but they don't do it. They can't. Don't put that burden on anybody's shoulders. Like You have to make me happy. You have to make me you know, content. You have to fulfill me. It's a terrible burden to put on someone else. Because they can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. So if I'm if I'm alone, then it, it's it's there's no motivation for it. But what happens here with this, the reality of God as my Father, is that I cease to be a homeless wanderer on earth. 
And yeah, you know, and there's a lot of people who don't have loved ones in their lives. Uh, there's people who don't have friends, especially in our current world where the technology has has gotten us more connected electronically. More people are isolated, and people feel lonely. They feel that they don't have a home, homeless, a wanderer, a fugitive, a vagabond, a leaf born helpless on the wind. Uh, Nobody cares. There's no destiny for me. There's no purpose in life. And that's if if you don't have that, it's easy to get, um, uh, you know, to turn to either drugs or alcohol or some other distraction or some other something to distract or fulfill that you think will fulfill to occupy your mind. Uh, Then. Aldous Huxley's Brave New Worlds does a wonderful job with depicting a future world where everybody's on drugs. <laughs> it's called Soma, and you know you take it. It's it's like this perfectly designed drug that doesn't actually make you like fall over drunk or pass out high. It actually just makes you high, and and then you you're like happy, and it's all a fake. And nothing in that world, in that fake world is real. See, having a father gives us a home. Son remains in the house. Gives us a purpose. You got work to do. But the father has given you chores. But they're not just any old chores. They're actually really important. To have a purpose, a destiny, a meaning to my life, that comes with having your father. A son who can pray, our Father, at any time, anywhere, has found his place in the universe. It's a very particular place in the body of Christ. And it's designed just for you. You have found a hold and a hope. And however in yourself at times become unstable, weak, incapable, you can always rest on the unchangeable, enduring fact that God is your Father. That never changes. If you committed a heinous sin, it doesn't change it. Well, the difference between... And I know, I think to my past when I I felt truly alone in the world as, as a younger man, it was very, very scary to me. Uh, the unknown. <laughs> it was extremely scary to me. But then God found me. God called me. And I wasn't out in the cold anymore. Um, and especially over time. You know, as, as time goes on and you're still trying to figure out who God is and who you are and how you fit into His will and how you can do His will. And it takes time uh, God is your father, and just like any father with his children, he doesn't expect a two-year-old to act like a ten-year-old. He's patient. But there is a time that God wants us to be adults, adult children. And he's going to make that perfectly clear. So at my last passage to note here is when uh, Mary Magdalene sees the resurrected Lord and thinks he's the gardener. And he says her name and then she realizes it's Jesus, alive from the dead, and she does what she would do. She broke down an incredible emotional outburst and she grabbed hold of him. And Jesus said to her in John 20, 17, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. My Father. Now, why he said this, nobody knows. There's been a lot of debate or theories. Uh, Nobody really knows, but that's fine. If we don't know, we don't know. But he said to her, stop clinging to me. But go to my brethren and say to them. See, she's the first evangelist. And that's why, perhaps that's why. He's saying, look, let go of me and I've got a job for you. Go to the brethren And say to them, go to my, sorry, not the brethren. Go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and to my God and your God. 
my father and your father. See, he puts us right together to make sure it's unmistakable that the very father that he called father, that sustained him in a relationship with his father throughout the incredible life that he had, is now our father. And his God is our God. And that ain't never going to change. And so as we pray, we must remember that. And we start with it. And, and as you're going through your prayers, uh, so you, will, you won't forget it. You know, that you're, you're seeking, you're asking, you're knocking to the one who is your father who truly loves you and will never abandon you and desires your good. And for a lot of this, it's just our eyes have got to be opened to a lot of things that we ain't seeing. But prayer and Bible study are going to bridge that gap. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and your uh, this prayer, which uh, gives us so much to learn and to think about, contemplate. And then, Father, to put into immediate action. Uh, we can pray this prayer from anywhere. We can add to it without changing the principles of it. We can focus on one part of it and explore it. And we have plenty of time to do it. May we not be distracted, Father, by the things of life so that we don't take advantage of a relationship with you that involves a constant communication. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Why you had to hide